to step in, I'm happy to do it. Um, I want to speak first to the people online that I never really speak to. Um, the online phenomena of churches has a wonderful dimension to it because for our shut-ins, for our people that can't travel and get to the assembly, it's a wonderful place to join with us in the Spirit of God and worship, and we're real thankful for that. But anytime an attorney says, but, you kind of get a little nervous. Um, on the other hand, there are those in our Christian family that have gotten lazy. They just don't come on Sunday because they'd rather stay in their slippers and their pajamas with their hot chocolate and either sleep in or not. And to them, I want to say, knock it off. I'll be the Elon Musk of this church. I don't care. But you, you, need, you need, and it's this church or whatever local church you're part of, get there. The scriptures say, do not forsake the assembling together. It's not just what you get out of it. It's what we get by you being with us. And so knock it off. Get back here into the assembly. You, and I, I mean that. Um, secondly, uh, the housekeeping thing is um, get yourself a study Bible. Let's see the Bibles that we've brought, that you've brought today. Raise them up. Yeah, good. All right, good. Um, you know, the electronic phenomena of the Bible on phone and tablet is fine, but you can't really get in and scratch and make notes and highlight and that kind of thing, and um, you need a study Bible. Uh, a good study Bible, Ryrie sold 2 million, has 10,000 comments. Um, there are other study Bibles. Uh, the new, I use the New American Standard study Bible. But get that for your own personal study. Okay, enough of the housekeeping. Today we're going to talk about something that touches every one of us. And it is something that you can almost label it the bizarro world that we're in. It's almost as if, hang on to your seats, two years ago, when we went to sleep and woke up, we woke up on another planet. And here's what the planet looks like. I, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you. From day one, we started cutting off our oil supplies that were making us energy independent. On day one, the borders started to get porous. So that now, two years later, over three million people have come across our borders without regard for their health, without regard for what the drugs are that they may be bringing. And, and you say, is this the America that I love, the wonderful country that's the best country in the world? And it is, although we've woken up on a different planet. For churches, we had times where the government went to war against us so that we could not assemble, or we could assemble only in structure and strict conditions and spacing. And that went on for a year or so until some of the churches challenged them in the courts and lost, the government lost, such that we could start assembling together. But the schools have been uh, closed down in a way where it's impacted our education for our children. Um, the borders, as I said, have been porous. And in the next two years, they estimate as many as five million people will pour across our borders without regard for their motives or other circumstances. Our military has been devastated, and 
now the rule is that if you're not vaccinated, you can't stay in the military. What is that? Um, we've had the strongest military in the world, and now we've had over 4,000 men fired from their military careers because they won't be vaccinated. I don't care what you think about vaccination. The issue is that's illegal. It's unconstitutional to require medical procedures on you that are elective and voluntary. That's against Oregon's Constitution and the United States Constitution. And right now, there are 13,000 military men who are in danger of losing their career because they won't get vaccinated. This is a bizarro world we're in right now. We have a situation where our economy has been blown up such that we say that the inflation rate is 8%. It's closer to 25% in certain parts of the country. And for people like Janet Yellen, who said last week, the inflation is because Americans are splurging on goods, and that's what she said, why don't we take her to the gas stations? Why don't we take her to the grocery stores where people struggle to make their ends meet on a monthly, on a monthly basis? We have riots that have blown up this country in the last two years. There's over 500 riots where in our beloved Portland, which has become an armpit, there were riots and the police were told to stand down where businesses were destroyed and people were killed and people were injured. And we thought, what is this nation that I'm in where they will not act and protect citizens? So citizens went to protect themselves and they got thrown in jail. There's only one riot in the last two years that the government's been excited about. It's January 6th and they politicized it. So the craziness of our world crowds in on us at every level. We have schools where the union, the teachers' unions have pushed a certain agenda and a certain thinking in terms of racial divide in this country. And when parents try to step in and stop that, the Department of Justice says, you're terrorists, you're going to get arrested. Really? For parents interceding on behalf of their children? But the worst of it is still in front of us. And for this, this becomes R-rated with some apologies. We have, uh, over the years, had a movement in our legal system to uh, legalize homosexuality. And, you know, what people do in their homes and in their bedrooms, the Supreme Court's spoken about that and says that's private, fine. But if it gets to be implemented into the legal system and into the laws of our land, such as it begins to impact the way we live, then we've crossed a line. And for us in America, homosexuality has transitioned to transgenderism. And transgenderism has become an industry that's absorbed our country. So that people say, well, I don't quite know what I am. And so I have multiple pronouns, I have multiple genders. And what we get now are phrases that I don't even understand. Phrases like, um, Gender transfers, gender fluidity, gender reassignment, non-binary. I don't even know what those things mean. But the worst of it is that in our surgical suites and hospitals across this land, we are doing surgeries on our children without parental knowledge or permission. And little girls' breasts are being cut off. And little boys' testicles are being cut off and vaginas are being reconstructed, again, under the guise of 
transgenderism. And I am careful about what I call evil and not evil. That's flat out evil. And, and, and we're getting to the point where, where we say to ourselves as Christians, what do I do? It doesn't just impact our children. And you know, there's a song that says, mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. And unless you're a rooter, an advocate for the NFL team cowboys, I guess I agree with that. But you watch your babies, watch your children, and watch your grandchildren, because it's still a bizarro world that we're in out there. The, the laws of the land began not with the passing of laws in Congress, but what's called executive sessions, where our President Obama, years ago, instituted a transgender mandate which required doctors and hospitals to perform gender reassignment surgeries on any patient, including children, even if it was against a doctor's conscience or medical judgment. What kind of world did we wake up into where that kind of chaos is going on in a quasi-approved manner in our medical community? I've had even in the last six months a neurologist say, I'm done. I didn't go to medical school for this, and I'm not going to do this. Well, the courts are addressing that particular issue, but the point is we are in a situation where we are at war. In 1915, the intellectual advocate for cultural Marxism, Antonio Gramsci, who died in one of Mussolini's prisons, said, socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. Notice that he said religion. In the new order, socialism must triumph by first capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media. And at each of those things, there is an agenda being promoted, which is contrary to not only the world we know, but to the Bible that we know. Because last time I checked, in Genesis 1 and verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move among the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So that's the pushback that we're in, folks. Whether you're a senior citizen, whether a young parent with young children, whether you're a collegian who tries to sort through the propaganda that you get in the universities, we are challenged with a cultural war that asks of us, how then should we live as Christians? Well, there are various ways to solve that question. Um, CNN had an article last week that said, daylight savings time is racist. <laughs> now, at first I was kind of intrigued by that because I might have been going faster than 35 miles an hour a few weeks ago on Barber, <laughs> getting to a Saturday morning men's study. The roads were dry and clear. 
And by the way, you're missing a great thing if you're not coming to that men's study on Saturday morning. But I might have been going faster than 35. And all of a sudden, through an intersection, the lights flashed. I thought, what's that? <laughs> and I came to realize that these cameras on intersections don't just record if you go through a red light. They record if you're speeding. So I went through my mind and said, OK, basic rule, how can I, how can I beat this thing? <laughs> And um, I, I came to the men's study, and I was complaining about it, and one of the brothers said, because we're in James 1, and we've taken 12 weeks to go through 12 verses, and um, one of the brothers said, John, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. <laughs> and I thought, you know, this is not going well for me. But if, if I can't find an unconstitutional reason for the camera, I'll just call it racist. That's what I'll do. It seems to work for everybody else. But seriously, how then should we live in this bizarro world? The answer for us is found in Romans chapter 13. Please turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seats on the racks in front of you. Romans chapter 13. This is a question that if we give a right answer to it, it will be a right answer that applies not only to those, who are, those of us who are Christians in America, but to Christians around the world. And the reason I say that is because Christians in Russia, Iran, China, Ukraine, and Brazil are right now going through national riots. And for whatever else they're, they're demonstrating about, the governments are taking it out on the Christian churches. And so we're getting reports of some African countries, for example, where Christians are murdered every two hours. And so we've got a bizarre world here in America, but it's not as bad as some Christians have around the, around the planet but we have to ask the question, will our answer apply to a believer in Brazil or Ukraine or America? And the answer is yes. Romans chapter 13. The Apostle Paul knew something about suffering when he wrote this book. He had, by his second missionary journey, been put into jail, into prison, for a miracle that he performed in the name of Jesus. In his third missionary journey... He was put into a prison in Caesarea for two years and then eventually moved into house arrest in Rome and back into jail and suffered there imprisonment before he was beheaded in 68 AD. Our message today is by advocacy of not only the Spirit of God and the Word of God, but the disciples. 11, who are 12, 11 of the 12 who were martyred for their faith. Paul writes in Romans 13, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Not the message I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear the message that says, Take up your arms, get out your swords, rally around and, and picket against the governments that you're involved in. And that's not what Christians do. We are to bend the knee to those who are in authority over us. Why? The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, 
He who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring upon judgment upon themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one who in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. Take a breath. We're in a country that does not respect all the laws of the lands or the rights of our people, but that doesn't give us an excuse to be civilly disobedient. There are only a few examples of civil disobedience in the Bible, but you should appreciate that they're the rarity. They're the exception to the rule. There's Daniel. When the king said, the royal edict was, come down with this sort of diet, he said, no, my friends and I aren't going to do that. There's Rahab in Jericho, who when the king said, go to Rahab's house and find out where those spies from Israel were, she lied to them and sent them out a different direction. But that's not the mainstream instruction of the Bible. It is that we are to bend our knee to the government that God has put in front of us. Why? Because in doing what is good, we avoid punishment. You say, well, John, what if they've gotten to the point where punishment is not credited to those just who do bad, but those who do good? Well, it's a different question. But the normative instruction of the Bible is submission. So Paul goes on to say, verse 6, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servant, who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. I paid the ticket. $165, but I'm not complaining about that. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You see how that verse ends? okay, John, I'll kind of marginally respect the government and the authorities that are over me begrudgingly. That's not what that verse says. That verse says, if respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. It's not like the little boy who say, go sit in the corner because you were bad. And he says, fine, I'll sit in the corner, but I'm going to stand up on the inside. That's not what this passage says. It says you... Sit down when the government says to sit down. You give them the honor and respect that they deserve as ones that God put into authority over you. Now, I pray every day. I used to not know how to pray for the government because it does say to pray for those who are in authority over us. But I finally figured it out. And I pray that God will bind the evil in our government every day. And, and, uh, and then I trust it to him and leave it to him in terms of the consequences of life that I find for myself and those who are around us. So we are to be people who are people of bended knee to the authorities that are over us. We are to know that there are greater issues at hand in terms of serving God and honoring God and trusting God than just fighting with the authorities that are around us. Now, Paul had a reason he could have said you know, come up in rebellion against them. It was Jesus, 32 years earlier, to the end of his ministry, who when Herod found out that though he attributed the escape of Jesus and Joseph and Mary 
to the Magi, it really was a dream that God gave Joseph. But Herod went in and killed all the boys in Bethlehem, two years of age or younger, and in surrounding regions. And Rome certainly was no measure of constitutional justice. In Rome, if you did not pay your taxes or follow the instructions of the government, they, you could lose your property or you could be sold into slavery. In Rome, there was something that was a regular practice, historians tell us, that when children disobeyed the government, the fathers could isolate them or even take their life. There is something in Rome in the first century called parricide. Parricide was when children killed their parents. And if that happened, there was a Roman rule that said, you take that child, you wrap him up in a gunny sack, you put in with him a monkey, a rooster, and a dog, and you drown them. So Paul wrote to Christians who were facing their own kind of bizarro world. Paul wrote this in 58 AD. He would be dead in 10 years. But the Christians were only six years away from Rome burning, from five days of a holocaustic burn in Rome that Nero blamed on the Christians. And from 64 to 68, the Christians increasingly were persecuted. And here this verse stands out at us that says, submit to those who are in authority over you. Let me say a word about civil disobedience. There may be a place for some Christians in some countries that if the government gets to the point where it's so upside down that it's a wholesale war against Christians and Christian thinking, we may be called to do something different than we're not called now. But that's not our situation here in America. We are called to pay our taxes, pray for those who are in authority over us, submit to those who God has put over us. So Paul finishes in, in chapter 13 by saying, The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So what's the first out-of-the-box response that I or you have to a bizarro world that we're living in? And the answer is, live in a manner that honors God in your life. Have the hope and the faith and the confidence that they will see your life and praise Him who is our Father in heaven. Jesus had spoken to that in various places in Matthew. And for example, Matthew 22, He was tested, and uh, they came to Him and said, Who do I obey? And Jesus said, if we can get the screen down, I've got, I've got a low-grade communication going on with our screen people who don't like to put the screen down. But thank you, Kevin, for putting it down. 
Um, Matthew 22 says that Jesus has, says, I love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus was asked, asked, what's the core Christian living? He says it's internal, it's not external. Why did he say that? Because the Jews were involved. We're doing good. The Jews were involved in an environment where the religious leaders were phonies. The Pharisees were charlatans. They had some things that were right from the Old Testament, a few things. But by and large, they had externalized Christianity. And they say, your faith is what you see. So they wore phylacteries and tassels and marched around like they were big stuff. They liked to be called rabbi. And Jesus said about them in Matthew 23, and we're only in Matthew 5, but in Matthew 23, um, Jesus said, they're empty tombs, they're snakes, they're vipers, they are ones who are hypocrites, they are unwashed tombs. So the conscientious, believing, first century Jew did not have a model among religious leaders for how to live. But Jesus burst onto the scene and said, it's internal. Your walk with God is what you do with your heart and your soul and your mind. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 5 that we were to be people who are measured by our relationship to those around us. So he said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Indeed, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's your marching orders as a Christian in the 21st century. Let your light so shine before others that they'll see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Can't tell you to go picket against the government. Uh, if you've got legal license to do something, be careful about it, but you can do that sort of thing. But the issue is, where is my own walk with God, and how is that measured in terms of those that are around me? Jesus had a private visitor one night, early on in his ministry, was a man of prominence, a man of spiritual standing, in fact, a Pharisee. He came at night, and it wasn't accidental that he came at night, because he didn't want to be known as one associating with Jesus. But he had questions that were driving him crazy. And he said to Jesus, how do you do this? How do you do all these miracles? What authority do you have for doing what you're doing? Now, if you can give me the name of that individual, you can move to the front row. Who, do, who is Jesus talking to? Ah, oh, you're so good. And in John 3, Jesus said, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, say what? I don't understand. You know, man's born by water. How can a man be born again? 
Jesus said, man's born by water, but he needs to be born again by the Spirit. You're a teacher in Israel and you don't know this. You should be a, 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 a teacher of those who have spiritual direction for people. And yet you don't understand the work of the Spirit and the necessity of being born again. And then Jesus said, words that have reverberated throughout history. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that became the breakout message for those of us that need to be born again. Let me step one step back and say, if you, whether you're online or whether you're here in the audience, have not yet said, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I acknowledge that and I receive the gift of life offered by Jesus. Today is your day to do that. You don't know whether you have tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation for you. But for those who have been born again, who have been reconstituted, who understand what it means to be ones who walk in following Jesus and by the work of the Spirit, there is a greater message than national or government rebellion. It's mentioned in places like 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And you know, Peter is one who, if you were to go to chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he would also say, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. So Peter's instructions were the same as Paul's. But if we can put 1 Peter 1 on the screen, 1 Peter ends with the instructions as follows. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you redeem from the empty way of the hardened of the hand, of that of the life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Jesus a lamb without blemish or defect so he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope is in him one of the challenges i have as an attorney is dealing with people who in their disputes are either feeling like they've been financially wronged or what they have financially they want to keep and multiply for themselves. Understandable, those are just kind of human considerations. But we get into the thing of the, the gold and the silver and the possessions that we have and the preoccupation of it. And, you know, as a, as a practitioner, there's a task to be done in terms of the law. But, but, as a Christian... We hold those things loosely. The things that you own, the gold, the silver, the land, the possessions, 
the inheritances, they'll, they're going to move through our fingers like sand. We are here as travelers temporarily on this planet until God takes us home. And when he takes us home, he'll ask of us, did we live according to the measure of faith and hope and love as one who loves our Lord, our God, with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. I can't predict for you where this country is going. I can tell you that my own personal persuasion based on Genesis 12 is we better stay locked in supportive of Israel because that's a promise that goes on in terms of blessing those that bless the sons of Abraham. But I don't see America in the Bible in the end times. I don't see it in Daniel. I don't see it in Ezekiel. I don't see it in Revelation. So I can't tell you with any surety that this country will continue to exist through the end times. But I can tell you something which is sure. Our rock is solid in Jesus. And with that, we hold on to. I, I was dealing with an individual recently who was stressing about all the un- insecurities of money. I won't get into it because I haven't got time. But basically, <laughs> money in the bank is not as safe as you think it is. It's an unsecured credit. You're an unsecured creditor. Uh, on and on. If the bank folds, on and on. And he began to panic. You could see the color just rising in his face. And I said... I'm so thankful that I have an eternity in Jesus where my future is secure and not based on what I own. May God give us the grace as a church to live that way in the days that he gives us. Let's pray. Lord, we, we admit that we're in, a, we're in a difficult time. We are, uh, in some ways, in new ground where the structure of our country and even the historical standards of our country have been bent and twisted and changed. And it's, it's, it's not an issue of a political party. It's an issue of understanding how we are to live in a life that honors you in the midst of the circumstances that we find ourselves. May you give each of us the grace to be people who are followers of Jesus, and who understand that in the days you give us, we're to live with honor, with faith, and with hope. In Jesus' name, amen.